Pray with me. Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Speak to you now in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, it is good to be back. I believe it was Dorothy on The Wizard of Oz who said, There is no place like home. And while I was away for training, I was constantly kicking myself, clicking my heels together, wishing that I was back here, back home. Back home with my wife, back home with my family, and back with so many of the Lord's choicest servants. Thank you all to so many who have prayed for me and committed to pray for me while I was away. I truly believe it was because of your prayers, the prayers of so many of the Lord's faithful, that I was not injured seriously, that I was able to complete my training. I said all that to say, it's good to be home. Well, let's get into it, shall we? And our gospel lesson this morning, it comes from Mark. I've got to say, I really, really, really like Mark's gospel. Not only is it short and easy to read, which is a plus for me, (laughs) but it's action-packed and I don't fall asleep while I read it. Mark wastes no time with fancy words or eloquent speech. He simply tells you what you need to know. Listen to his opening statement in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is up front with his message. And he has his own style. And while Mark moves very quickly from story to story, highlighting the events of Jesus' life, his purpose is not to entertain, but rather to let the reader know up front that this Christ, this Jesus, is the Son of the living God. Every story Mark tells reveals more and more of this reality, bit by bit. He reveals who Jesus really is, who his true identity is as the Son of God. Mark is committed to this. He's committed to revealing Jesus Christ as the Son of God. In fact, I find it very fitting to read Mark's gospel during this Epiphany season. You might ask why. Well, because Epiphany means to reveal or to show and Epiphany is all, this Epiphany season is all about revealing Jesus' true identity as the Son of God. However, if you read Mark's gospel, you'll quickly realize that there is one group who seems to be very interested in who Jesus is and what this Jesus character has to say. And there's another group of people who, who seem to already know who Jesus is, but don't really care. Our text begins with Jesus entering the synagogue on a Sabbath. And this in and of itself is not a a surprise. It's quite natural for a Jew like Jesus to to do this on, on a Sabbath. In fact, some would say that was what good Jews did back then. What is odd, however, is what Jesus is doing. He is teaching. And whatever he's saying, it must be good because Mark goes out of his way to point out two things. Number one, that, Je- that Jesus was teaching with authority. And number two, that, his message, that after his message, his fame spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The only problem is, Jesus 
really shouldn't be teaching in the synagogue. You see, he's not a scribe or a Pharisee. The teachers of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones who were given authority to teach in the synagogues. They were the priests, the clerics of the day. People were beginning to talk. They wanted to know who this Jesus was and what his purpose is. They liked his message. And just as the sermon was getting pretty good, the text says, a man with an unclean spirit cries out with a loud voice, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I don't know about you, but this is the part in the story that I can relate to. Maybe, maybe you can. Have you ever been preaching on a Sunday morning and had people uh, stand up and interrupt you? Maybe you were trying to convey the truth of the gospel and, and you were constantly interrupted by, by people. No, I'm, I'm the only one? <laughs> only one with that testimony, huh? <laughs> tell me, tell me that's not true. Well, maybe you weren't preaching, but maybe you were giving an important pitch to your boss. Maybe you were in the middle of teaching a class or teaching an important lesson to your children, and then you were interrupted. Have you been there? It's kind of offsetting, isn't it? But listen to Jesus' response to the unclean spirit inside the man. Be silent and come out. Be silent and come out. You see, within the story is two groups of people, and they have two totally different responses to the person of Jesus Christ. The one we encounter, the first one we encounter uh, it, 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 these people are filled with curiosity. They're curious about the preaching and the message of Jesus, and they respond in such a way. This is not unfamiliar to us. Uh, the Bible is filled with stories of people being amazed by Jesus' teaching and his ability to reinterpret Scripture and make sense out of challenging things, challenging passages. Plenty of people have tried to test Jesus' knowledge in the, of the scriptures, and they were impressed too by his ability to shine light on the real issue at hand, the darkness in, of men's hearts. Some people came, later became his disciples after witnessing the reality of his divinity being unveiled before their very eyes. They left their old ways and followed him. If you read in Mark, just before we got to our passage, we, we, the, the, uh, in Mark chapter 1, we see... Uh, the calling of, of, of Simon uh, where they, in these fishermen where they leave their nets, leave their father's boat, and they follow, follow Jesus Christ. And yet there's another group of people, a group like the unclean spirit, who know the truth about Jesus. They've been to church and perhaps like the unclean spirit, they are in the right place and can be seen doing the right things. And maybe they can even articulate eloquently theological truths about who Christ is. And yet they refuse to allow this knowledge to change the way they live their lives. St. Paul says they have the appearance only of godliness, but they deny the power of the gospel. What is the power of the gospel? The power of the gospel is to live a changed life. Christ came to set us free from sin and give us an option to choose him, to choose life, to choose righteousness and obedience to God. 
You see, these, these kinds of people only view Jesus as nothing more than a good teacher. And his words are, are, are simply good thoughts. And, and rather than words of life themselves, they are, are things to be considered and maybe pondered, discussed over coffee and, 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 and perhaps dinner. These kinds of people know God on an intellectual level. But that's all their relationship is. Their relationship is, is nothing more than cerebral. They have no real connection to God. They, they collect facts about who he is and what he's done, but, but they have no real interest in living a changed life. The good news of the gospel is that the words of Jesus Christ are far more than good thoughts. They are life itself. The words of Christ are life. Not just life-giving, but life themselves. And the one who holds on to Christ and his words, the one who hides them into their heart that they might not sin against it, that man, that woman, shall inherit eternal life. Jesus defines eternal life with these words. He says in John 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. During this epiphany season, God wants us to move from simply knowing intellectual facts about him to knowing him personally and thus loving him with our whole hearts. He wants us to see him not as a Gnostic teacher who holds secret or special knowledge about how to live a better life or how we can get the most of life and how we can, how we can uh, get blessed and get more things and get what we really want out of life. That's not what Christ died for. Christ didn't have to die to give us stuff. Christ had to die to deal with our sin issue, to deal with the sin in our heart. And he gave his life to deal with the sin that is lurking in our heart. He didn't die to give us special knowledge, but he died to, so that we could enter into a special relationship with him and that we could see him as he is revealed in Scripture and in the breaking of bread, the Eucharist. It is my prayer that when we encounter the teachings of Jesus, we don't see him with our natural eyes. It's a good teacher. It's a good preacher, perhaps. But rather with our spiritual ones. And we recognize, like St. Mark that he is, in fact, the Son of God, that he is eternal life, that he is the light of the world, that he is, in fact, the only begotten of the Father, that he is the only begotten of the Father, the Son of the living God. My prayer is like the one in, in Deuteronomy, there was two responses to, to the prophet when, when, uh, that, that Deuteronomy talks about when we, on our lesson. There's two responses there. Number one, we could hear the, 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 the prophet preach. We could hear Jesus' words. We could turn a deaf ear. And we could die in our sin. Or we could take heed to Jesus' words. We could repent, turn from our wicked ways. And in him, we could find rest for our weary souls. For there is one, even the man, Christ Jesus, who has the cure for our sin-sick souls. He cured it with one drop from his blood. 
one drop of His blood. Pray that when we hear the words of Jesus, when we see Him in the breaking of bread, when we encounter Him, that we see Him as He really is. And that in, that in seeing Him as He really is, we love Him with our whole hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.